If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, I'm a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains and I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I'm thankful for the change that it's brought about in my own life, in my own thinking, as we've considered this chapter this summer. It's been challenging, but it's been good. And I pray that it's been the same for each of us, and I pray that it will once again today accomplish what you desire for it to accomplish as we consider another description, another definition of what love is and is not meant to be in our lives. Thank you that you are the supreme example of love. Those songs just reinforce that idea, that that theology and belief we have that God, you love us. What an incredible truth. So we pray your blessing on our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I will never forget one of my uh, first official basketball games in seventh grade. Uh, We, the Morris Eagles, were playing uh, Liberty Morris in their tiny little gym. I don't know what their mascot was. I can't remember. But... I do remember one particular play in that game where uh, one of my friends, Shannon McKee, he stole the ball and he did what we were trained to do. He instinctively started to drive the lane and go to shoot a layup. And uh, he was making his way through the lane and uh, he was unhindered. Nobody stopped him, made the layup. Some people cheered. Uh, The defense was a little bit confused, and the reason is is because we were the defense, and uh, we didn't know what to do. He scored on the wrong goal. He scored on their goal, not our goal. We laughed and laughed for a number of years about that, and I still laugh about it as I recount that particular incident, scoring for the wrong team. Anybody in here ever done that? Tori, you ever had anybody on your teams do that? Uh, Savannah? Savannah did it. She's done How many times, Savannah? Just once? Okay, good for you. It wasn't last year, was it? Okay, good, good, as long as it was earlier than that. Uh, We live in a world where moral relativism is a growing value, Uh, meaning this, uh, that uh, 
there are no universal moral standards that can be set anymore. Uh, Standards, according to moral relativism, are established, morals are established by a particular cultural group or by a community. Uh, So what may be a rule for this group of people doesn't necessarily have to be a moral rule for this group of people. They don't like terms like that's right and that's wrong, that's good and that's evil, because it's all up for debate. It's moral relativism. Morals are relative according to their standard. In other words, who cares what goal you score on? It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But the Bible is very clear that there's good and there's evil. I mean, from the opening pages uh, of Scripture in Genesis 2, uh, God tells Adam and Eve, hey, you can eat freely of all the trees in the garden, but do not eat of this particular tree. And he gave that tree a metaphorical name. He said, this tree right here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of that tree, you will understand that there is good and there is evil. Up to that point, there was innocence. God is the determiner of what is good and what is evil. The Creator gets to make those particular decisions. Here's a few other examples of good and evil mentioned in the Bible. Jesus says in the New Testament, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart does good things. But the evil person out of the evil of his heart does evil things. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul wrote these very appropriate words for today which we're going to come back to in a moment, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let your love be genuine. Isn't that what we've been talking about? I mean, all summer, really all years, we've talked about doing life together. Let your love be sincere. And here he goes on to define it, and he says, abhor what is evil. That means hate it. And hold fast to or, or cling to what is good. But Paul struggled with that. We also find earlier in the book of Romans his own confession that I think we can all relate to very well. He says, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. There's there's a confusion. There's a struggle. Sometimes like Paul, like my friend Shannon, we get confused. We don't understand what's good and what's evil. We rebel. We sin. That's what was happening in Isaiah's day. And God speaks to them. God speaks to Israel. And and I think these verses are very appropriate for the day in which we live and the lives in which we live. Here's what he says. Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness and bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who twist God's words, manipulate to say this is good when it's not really good, and this is evil when it's not really evil. See, this struggle to know what is good, what is evil, to do what is good instead of what is evil, to score points for the right team is what is addressed in our section of 1 Corinthians 13 today. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6 is the description we're looking at, and it's this, Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. 
So this summer we've been working through this chapter and uh, really verse by verse, line by line, trying to learn what love is and is not. Last week we focused on the fact that love is not easily angered and love keeps no record of wrongs. And I've been praying this week that some of you have been burning your lists of other people who have wronged you. You've been praying that God would give you the grace to forgive those people who have sinned against you just as you have been forgiven. This description today, though, love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in what's right. It was tough for me. I've been trying to wrap my brain around this for the last couple of weeks. The other ones seem to come a lot quicker, and I, I do have to give a, a word of thanks to a guy named Rob Green. None of you know Rob Green, but uh, he is one of the pastors at Faith Church in Lafayette, Indiana, and I am familiar with that church, and just so happened when I was looking for resources, he had a resource on this, and it was immensely helpful to me. Uh, some of what I will say, and I'll point that out, is uh, really directly from him, and so I'm grateful for that. But let's just start today with the question that I started with. What does it mean to rejoice in wrongdoing? What does it look like to rejoice in wrongdoing? Uh, others have translated that phrase, love doesn't delight in evil. Or, or love isn't glad about injustice. Basically, it's this. Love takes no pleasure in doing wrong or supporting what is wrong. Love takes no pleasure in doing wrong things or supporting others who do wrong things. First, love is not excited about evil itself. It doesn't clap for that. It doesn't cheer for what is evil and what is wrong. According to Romans 12, 9, which we referenced earlier, genuine love hates what is evil. But sometimes, like Paul, we participate in the very things that we're supposed to hate. Sometimes, like the Israelites, we call the things we're supposed to hate good. We call them light when they're darkness. We call them sweet when they're bitter. Doing so helps us to justify our choices and our actions in our own minds and maybe to other people. In the broadest sense, love doesn't get excited when there's a tragedy like a school shooting. Love doesn't applaud that. Love grieves for those people who are suffering as a result of those things. Uh, here's another one that's easy for this crowd to take. Love doesn't support planned abortion. It doesn't, it doesn't clap its hands for those kinds of things because it kills. It takes life, innocent life. It often destroys the lives of people who are left behind, the women, the fathers, the families. Love doesn't rejoice in domestic violence or child abuse or anger or destruction of property. Love doesn't rejoice and delight in those things. Some of you work in tough environments. You work with rough people who've had rough lives. And I have to step back and realize that, that for 15 years I've had a pretty, uh, pretty bubble-wrapped life uh, I, I work here by myself. I'm my worst enemy. I am the chief of sinners, so I can struggle with that. Uh, but for the most part, as I interact with people around the community, they know I'm a pastor. But in my past, I've worked with rough people. I've worked with the guys that every other word was a curse word. Every other phrase was an innuendo. I've worked in, and probably, I'm just going to be honest with you, I've probably worked in, in worse environments than a lot of you because I worked in the oil fields. I worked on a drilling crew in Oklahoma, and those are some rough, rough guys. I'd get in the truck, and we're about to leave a job site. Driver cracks open a beer. I'm like, you're not going to drink and drive while I'm in here, man. 
even though he was probably already drunk uh, when we arrived at the work site. I've, de- I've dealt with that. Love doesn't support those kinds of actions. Love doesn't participate. Love doesn't rejoice. And please listen to this. We need to hear this in our present culture. Love doesn't rejoice in evil slander. Hate-filled speech. And gossip. That we often find all over social media. All over the internet. 24-hour news cycles. Hate-filled speech. Gossip. 98% of it isn't true. It's just simply, this is what we think And it destroys and it hurts. Love doesn't rejoice in those things. If we go back to our text, if we go back to the the, the Corinthians, and this is what I always want to do is relate this. Why is Paul saying to the Corinthians, love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing? What was going on there that Paul writes to address this, that God wants them to know? Well, if we go back into chapter 5, you remember there's this particular instance where the church seems to be rejoicing at the sin that's going on in their church. There was a guy in the church who was in a sexual relationship with his stepmom. And Paul's like, this shouldn't be. This isn't right. You need to remove him. Because it was causing ripple effects all through the church and the congregation and the community. They were rejoicing in what was wrong. Paul says, love will take a stand for what is right. So let me ask you a couple questions. Where are you participating in wrongdoing? Is there some evil that you're calling good? Is there some darkness that you're calling light? Is there some... Bitter that you're calling sweet. Where are you trying to justify yourself by twisting God's words and rejoicing in what's wrong? Second thing I want to mention under this point is this, that love isn't, not only is it not excited about sin itself, but it's not excited about wanting other people to sin either. It's not excited about watching it or having other people be tempted into it. There are certain people in your lives uh, who daily tempt you towards wrongdoing and evil. Uh, maybe you're one of those people who, who tempts other people to participate in what is wrong. Would you, would you turn with me? We're going to go to a couple other places this morning. But go with me to Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to see this. Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10. If you can find Psalms, which is... Uh, Pretty much in the middle of your Bible, uh, Proverbs will be right after. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10, we find a warning. The author writes this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Well, I hope you can feel the passion of this parent to child. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. 
Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will find all the precious goods. We will fill our houses with the plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. In vain they spread a net in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. What a warning. Don't rejoice in the wrongdoing. Don't be, don't be led away by those who would tempt you. Whether that's people physically, friendships you have, relationships you have. Don't let them pull you away. It may be a social media type of situation. Don't be drawn into the evil. A couple weeks ago I mentioned that a person who truly loves you will never tempt you to compromise on what is true. Let me say that again. A person who truly loves you will never tempt you to compromise on what is true. A, a boyfriend, a girlfriend who really loves you would never want you to sin by engaging in inappropriate relationships. A friend who really cares for you will, will work to protect you against the dangers of, of drugs. A person who truly cares for you will not tempt you by engaging in gossip or inappropriate conversation. Love doesn't rejoice in wrong. If you have people in your life who are tempting you to sin, people who rejoice in wrongdoing, what does Proverbs say? What does Scripture tell us to do? Stay away. Get away from them. Run away from them, but I'm, but I'm trying to lead them to Christ. You're not in a position. They're not willing to listen. Run away is the voice of Scripture. Some of you may need to stop following certain people on social media because they tempt you towards evil. They draw you in. They entice you. I don't know if, if all of you are aware, but like what you typically like on social media, what you uh, share on social media... Uh, other people see it. And I see stuff quite often that, that breaks my heart. Because it's not good. It's evil. It's not light. It's darkness. It's not sweet. It's bitter. And you're putting it out there. Everyone sees who you're following. And it's not just the fact that, oh, well, people will see me. I don't want you to turn in and hide and say, well, I'll just be a, I'll be a hypocrite. I'll cover it up and nobody will see it. It's going to destroy you. That's the end game. Satan wants to destroy you and draw you down this path. Just like it says, the net is laid. You think it's for others, but it's for you. Game over. Another point that I would make is this. Love doesn't root for others to sin. Love doesn't root for sin in other people's lives. I... Uh, I was reading in one of the commentaries, I think it was John MacArthur, and one of the points that he made in comments, it said he's, he's dealt with couples uh, who, who struggle with this. There's a, there's a bad relationship, a bad marriage, and uh, one spouse wanted out of the marriage, and they didn't, couldn't get out because of what scriptures say about divorce, only under the guise of adultery. And so they hoped, they hoped that their spouse would commit adultery. 
so that they would have an out. That's not love. I thought it won for me. Um, I give instruction to my kids quite a bit. Tell them to do something, to not do something. And it's often those ones where I tell them, hey, don't do that. And it's usually because it's something that's going to hurt them. So I say, hey, don't do that. And they do it anyway. And then they get hurt. And I kind of get a little smirk on my face. My wife doesn't act like that. She completely responds with compassion and grace. But to me, I'm a little bit satisfied in my heart. Why? Because I'm rejoicing in evil. It's not love. I've been trying to work on that this week. I'm trying to focus a little more attention on that. Are you tempting others to sin? Are you trying to entice people and draw them into something and say, hey, it's not evil, it's good. You're following in the path of a pretty famous person, Satan. It's exactly what he said to Adam and Eve, right? Eat of the fruit. Ah, you won't surely die. God said this was bad. No, no, this is good. Participate. Eat in it. Are you allowing other people to tempt you in that direction? Are you listening to their voice? What changes do you need to make to avoid such temptation, to avoid being caught in the net? Work out your own salvation. Work at it. Third area under love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing is this. Love doesn't spread sin. We're going to spend uh, some significant time on this next week and, and talk about it when we address love bears all things. Love protects because the idea here, love doesn't spread sin, love protects, is that love doesn't gossip about the sins of other people. Gossip only perpetuates the wrong. It takes a wrong situation and responds to it wrongly and creates another wrong situation. Love doesn't spread the sins of others. Nor does love rejoice when sinners fall. When criminals are tried, put to death, we don't rejoice in the sin, we don't rejoice in their death. We can rejoice in justice, that's okay. But there's a fine line we have to be careful of. Because everyone in this room has a tendency to take pleasure in the downfall of others because it somehow makes us look better, right? If they're down there and I'm still up here, then I'm winning. I'm more righteous. I'm more holy. We tend to spread the sin of other people so that we can somehow benefit. Finally on this point, love, love doesn't talk about past sins with a sense of pride. This is one of those points that Rob Crean made that I really appreciated. Because sometimes you run into Christians who seem to talk about their life before Christ, and it seems like they're bragging. They, they seem to be proud of their many sexual conquests, the drugs, the people they scammed, the laws they broke. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Love remembers that these offenses and remembers them in light of the cross and weeps. Because every one of those is the very reason Jesus died. These are the offenses that demanded the execution of Christ. We don't rejoice in them. We rejoice in the Savior who saved us from them, who forgave us. Do you brag about your sin? 
Do you blab about the sins of other people? Do you use the sins of others to make yourself somehow look good? Don't rejoice in wrongdoing. Love doesn't rejoice in it, but instead, let's flip it around. Let's look at the other side. Paul writes this, love rejoices in truth. In truth. Love finds pleasure in truth. Love desires truth. Psalm 1 draws a great contrast for us. Chuck read that at the beginning of the service for us today. But it says this, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. But instead he delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. It's an incredible contrast here. Because there's the wrongdoers and then there's the rightdoers. There's the evil and there's the good. The blessed person is not the person, and notice the progression, who, who, uh, who stands in the way of sinners, who walks, who sits. It's a progression. We start by just simply walking. I got that a little backwards. Walking around in the counsel of the ungodly, then standing and then we sit. It's that temptation to be drawn in. But instead, we're to delight in what's true. Not the evil, but the good. And, and the more, here's a great principle. The more I delight in truth, the clearer and the uglier evil looks. Our, our students just got back from camp uh, a week or so ago, a week of no TV, uh, no cell phones, at least they weren't supposed to have cell phones, a week away from maybe other influences that are negative in their life. And in the absence of all those things, there's a lot of Bible, there's a lot of truth, right? You got to get up, you got to go to a service in the morning. You got to talk with your youth group, have a little devotion after that. You got a service at night where God's word is being preached. You got a devotion before you go to bed. So, multiple times a day, they're interacting with Scripture. When you come home from experience like that, you have a heightened sense of evil, there's a heightened awareness. Some of you have experienced that, maybe not in youth camp, but you've gone away for like a little weekend revival or something like that, and, and you're, you're so ingrained and engrossed in God's Word that you really begin to see evil for what it is. However, if, on the other hand, when your life is devoid of truth, when there's an absence of Scripture, it's so easy to get confused and call evil good. And darkness light. Because it's no longer God who's defining those terms. You've, you've effectively removed God's word and set it aside. You're the, you're the definer of the terms now. God's word has no say in your life. You're not delighting in the truth. You're not rejoicing in the truth. That's why we stress so often the necessity of being in your Bible. Read your Bible. Uh, prayer. Uh, being faithful to participate in the life of a church. Because we are prone to wander as we just sang. The average American spends uh, five hours and four minutes a day watching TV. 
And I'd venture to say the average Christian probably spends less time than that in the Bible, including church services, in a whole week. That's just one influence. That's not all the other influences that come at us. Do you desire truth? Do you delight in it? Psalmist says it's to me it's it's sweeter than the honey of a honeycomb. It's it's more precious than gold, much fine gold. He delights in it. And how does that show in your life? How does delighting your delight for truth show itself in your life? What does that look like in your day to day? But love doesn't just delight in truth from the standpoint of what you receive. It also delights in speaking truth, sharing it with other people. Love isn't afraid to confront sin because confronting sin is one of the most loving things you can do for a person. I mentioned uh, last week just the, the illustration of going to the doctor and She tells you that you've got a a tumor, cancer, spreading in your abdomen. I think that doctor sits outside the room and says, man, I can't wait to go in and share this news. Not at all. One of the hardest things you would have to do in any given day. But you're glad to hear it when you hear it. You're glad somebody finally told you, hey, there's a problem, and we need to do something about it. That's what love does. This isn't an easy sermon to deliver. Last Sunday wasn't a very easy sermon to deliver. But it's necessary because some of you are rejoicing in wrongdoing. Some of you are writing lists. Some of you are easily angered. Some of you are arrogant. Some of you are impatient. You're not kind. We need to hear from God. We need to hear the truth so that we can begin to grow and change as a result. The fact is, if you don't deal with it, it will destroy you. That cancer will kill you. Out of love, the Spirit of God, hopefully every week, is just pounding on you. It's not because God hates you. Every word he speaks, every word of correction we find in Scripture is born of love. The law isn't, I I don't want you to do this because I don't want you to have any fun. It's, I don't want you to do this because it's what's safe. It's the way life's defined to be. How to love the Spirit is at work in some of your hearts even now. There's one more point under this idea of speaking truth that Rob Green made, and uh, this is another one that I really appreciated. He says this, love talks about the things of God. Just talks about God. Love delights in, in talking about how God's working in somebody's life. How God's bringing about these circumstances. It, it shares these words of praise and the blessings Love rejoices in this. You know that, that verse in Philippians 4 that says, I want you to think on things that are true and lovely and honest and goes through that list of things we're supposed to think on. 
Well, that's the idea here. If we're thinking on those things, we'll be talking about those things. We'll be talking about the things that are lovely. That's what love does. Love talks about those things. It compels us to talk about the good that God's doing. It compels us to, to celebrate what God's doing in the lives of other people, e even if we, we struggle with that envy part that we've already talked about. Well, I wish God would do that good stuff in my life too. No, we celebrate with other people. That's what love compels us to do. And, and in that way, think about this, love fights against all of the negativity and cynicism that just inundates us in this particular day and age. Because you turn on the news... It's negative. It's typically depressing. The people of God should be actively speaking truth in love, talking about the wonderful things that God is doing in our lives, in the lives of other people, and, and just combating against all of the negative and the cynical. I love that point. The more we delight in Scripture, the more willing we'll be to confront others who are unaware of the danger they're in. The more we delight in Scripture, the more positive outlook we'll have regarding life. Some of you are overwhelmed with the negativity, and it is depressing. Delight in God's Word. Get in the truth. Remind yourself of who He is, what He's doing, how this ends. Recapture the hope that we have because of the gospel of Christ. And then blab about it. Tell everybody you know about the good God that we serve. Love rejoices in the truth. Do you. Rejoices in the truth. As you examine your life, which team you're scoring for, is your love sincere? Me meaning this, are you, are you abhorring what is evil, hating what is evil, running away from it, encouraging others to do the same, uh, and, and uh, in the opposite, you're holding fast to what is true and good and right. You're opening up the Word and you're rejoicing in it. As you examine your own life, where, where are you at? And if you're calling evil good, if you're scoring for the wrong team, repent. That's the invitation. Turn away from it. Say about your sin what God says about it. Because the warning's been laid. Don't continue rejoicing in what is wrong. Rejoice in what is right. I also want to say this. Remember that it is only through Christ that we can love this way. It's only through Christ that we can even acknowledge our sin, come to repentance. Only Christ can fix what sin broke back in the garden when they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and plunged us into this confusion. See, God speaks into the confusion and He gave us His word that says, okay, I know it's hard to discern sometimes what's right and wrong, so let me tell you what's right and wrong. 
And even then, man, it's still really hard, even though now we know what's right and wrong. Sometimes, like Paul says, even though I know it's wrong, I still choose it. God didn't just leave us with the law, but he came himself. His son came, and he died, and he rose again so that you and I could have new life and a chance as a new creation so that we could live in obedience. So we cannot just only know this is good, but we could do good. We have a new heart. We can live right, holy, blameless. And it doesn't stop there because Jesus sends the Spirit, and the Spirit even right now is compelling us and saying, do it, live what's right, repent, turn from these things that are going to destroy you. Spirit compels us to rejoice in what's true, not in what is evil. I encourage you, listen today, respond today, turn to Christ today. He pleads our cause. He rights our wrongs. It's the beauty of the gospel. Though I fall jotted some of these words down while we were singing you can make me new that's what he wants to do today love doesn't rejoice in wrong it rejoices in the truth would you bow your heads with me this morning